1: Hello, and welcome to the Money Nerds Podcast, where owning a calculator, budgeting your money, and having a net worth is actually cool. I'm your host, Whitney Hansen, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success. Now let's dive into the show. Future planning. All right, you've heard me talk about FIRE, financial independent, retiring early, quite a bit on this podcast and definitely on other shows as well. However, it is a very hot topic right now. And I personally, I don't know about you guys, I don't really resonate with the retire early part. The financial independent, I'm all about that. But the retire early stuff is a little bit too much for me. I actually really enjoy what I do and hope to always do this as long as I possibly can. But I do think financial independence is a really good goal for us to all work towards because that financial independence allows you to use money as a tool to help you and and others around you. So if your goal is to help give back in some way, more money can definitely help with that. So I think it's a really great goal to work towards. And I know we've talked about quick calculations and like the 25 times rule where you would take your living expenses times it by 25. And that tells you roughly how much of a nest egg you need in order to officially retire. But I think it's a really important conversation to have. So that's why I was so excited to bring on today's guest, Diana Merriam, to talk a little bit more about financial independence, what that looks like, and more of the practical side of what is she doing in the day-to-day to help her get to that goal, because it's a huge goal for sure. But before we dive into Diana and all of her awesome story, I have to share a really great money win with you. This money one comes from the private Facebook group, Manage Your Money Like a Boss, which you are more than welcome to join. There's like 2,600 people in there. It's a ton of fun, super great conversation. And a lot of support and accountability if you need that kind of thing, which let's be real, we all do. But this money win comes from Katie. Katie says just sold a project desk for $55 profit and picked up another project desk for free from the sidewalk down the street. Yay for projects and yay for making some side money. Hashtag money Katie, I am so proud of you for taking the leap into furniture flipping and proving to yourself that you can actually make a little bit of a profit. I think that's a killer way to go. And I'm so so proud of you and your hustle and your money wins. So congrats to you, my friend. All right, so let's talk a little bit about Diana. She's the creator of Economy, So Econo and then me, M-E. It's a one-day conference aimed at showcasing this new American dream and what that looks like for different speakers. Diana aggressively paid off $30,000. She found a passion for pursuing financial independence. She walked the Camino, which is like almost 500 miles, you guys. Can you imagine? And she even saves 60% of her income. If that's not enough, she's an incredible person. She's very articulate. She's very well-spoken. I appreciated her answers throughout this entire episode. In this episode, we dive into her journey to paying off that $30,000 in debt, what that actually was, how she did it, what that looked like for her. We talk about finding fun in frugality. I think this is an important piece because so many times we go to this frugality measure or mindset and we think it has to be really restrictive and really dry and just boring and not fun at all, but she finds ways to bring a little bit of joy into that. So I thought that was a really interesting conversation. We talk about her moment of feeling financial freedom, what that actually looked like for her. We talk about long-term effects of building good financial habits, how this stuff pans out over the course of 10, 20 years, plus some, how this will really benefit your life. We talk a little bit about walking the Camino and why she did that, what she was seeking, what she found we talk about the value of time and experience and how to be resourceful. This one guys listen to this little section a couple of times because there is so many gold nuggets in here that i when i was listening to this i was like oh my god this is genius her approach to being resourceful is so good. I think you're really going to enjoy it. We talk a little bit about why she equates financial independence to having options, which I fully, fully agree with. And we talk about her vision for creating this platform for people passionate about financial independence, the reasoning behind why she created economy. This conference is going to be incredible. It's going to be hosted at the University of Cincinnati. It's March 7th, 2020. So you've got some time. And I think she's still in early bird ticket registration. So not paying me to say this but if you do choose to go to the conference definitely go do it now buy your ticket sooner so that you can actually you know enjoy a little bit of cost savings which we're all about on our version of financial independence right we got to watch every single dollar (laughs) it all matters so that is a little bit about Diana I think you guys are going to truly adore her as much as I do she's a rock star she's definitely doing some cool things in the financial world and I'm just so proud that I was able to interview her. All right, my friends, I am super excited to introduce you to Diana Miriam. Let's go ahead and dive into the show. Hey, guys, welcome back to another episode. Today I'm joined by one of my new friends, Diana Miriam. Diana, thank you so much for hanging out. Thanks so much for having me. I am stoked to chat with you. So, you've got a lot of cool things going on in your life, which we're going to definitely dive into. But tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do today.
0: Absolutely. So I um, currently work at a brand extension agency. I've been at this agency for about seven years and my life kind of took this hard left when I discovered content around the FIRE movement. Um, Namely, I discovered the Mr. Money Mustache blog. Um, And at the time I was 30 grand in debt and I just it just completely changed my relationship with money. And um, I ended up getting out of that debt in 11 months and it kind of just completely changed the trajectory of my life. I was living in New York City and I decided to move to Cincinnati. I ended up taking a two month sabbatical off of work to go walk the Camino in Spain, which is- What? Yeah. It's like 500 miles across Spain. It took me 38 days um, it was an unbelievable life experience. Um, and through a variety of other kind of twists and turns um, led me to just see really how fortunate I am and how learning about financial independence and kind of getting more secure in my financial position just com- made my life look totally different than I ever thought it would. And so it got me really interested in how you know can I introduce this people? How could I help spread the word and make this information a bit more accessible? Because I kind of stumbled on it accidentally. Mm-hmm. So I decided that I wanted to launch a conference, um, which I am next year. So that's kind of the big news um, in China, you know, really spread the word about the conference and, and kind of what it's all about.
1: I love this so much. There's so many areas I want to dive into. The first one is the $30,000 of debt. What exactly was the debt? What was it composed of?
0: Oh, Whitney, it's so embarrassing to tell you this. There's (laughs) no really good reason why I was in 30 grand of debt. Um, I would say probably about half of it was from student loans, which sounds really reasonable. Like, oh, 15 grand in student loans, that's not so bad. The thing is, I got a full scholarship to school. I really shouldn't have had any. Oh no, I know. I took out loans for living expenses. Yeah. Um, Cause that's just what you do. And um, you know, I, I worked while I was in school. It probably wasn't necessary. Um, But that's what I did. And then the other half of my debt was really just about living outside my means. You know, I was living in New York City, I was partying a lot, I just racked up credit card debt. And so I found myself, you know, 30 grand in debt, I think mostly from just being really mindless about it. And when I realized that, it was like, wow, okay, now I'm aware and
1: now I really wanna do something about it. So it sounds like this whole time you're paying off debt, you were also researching best strategies how do i pay it off and then that's where you stumbled across the mr money mustache You know, I was actually, um,
0: a part of, um, a group of women, I guess you could call us like a little mastermind group. And we all had goals that we were trying to reach, whether it be, you know, lose weight or get a raise at work or promotion or what have you. And so we would gather together like monthly and go over our goal lists and we each had like five goals and most of us had something about getting out of debt. So one of the ladies in the group actually just forwarded this article from Mr. Money Mustache. And um at the time I had started diving into how I was going to do this, I remember like finding a calculator where I plugged in all of my debt, all the interest rates, you know, my minimum payments. And then it shows you like if you did a snowball, here's mm-hmm. how long it would take you. Like I remember working with calculators. um, But it still showed that it was going to take me like two or three years or something like that. And and that was like, that felt aggressive to me. I didn't realize that I really had to change my mind about my discretionary spending so that I would have more money to throw at my debt. And that's really where Mr. Money Mustache came in for me. Um, It really made me question consumption in a way that I hadn't before um and what i loved about it is what to other people probably looked like deprivation to me really felt like i tapped into this creativity and resourcefulness that i didn't even know i had so i was cooking every meal that i was eating you know i was doing all this meal planning and i was having these like elaborate dinner parties rather than going out so i would make up like interesting games like um I remember I I did this one game where I just wrote out suggestions and like put it in everyone's glass. And then when they sat down, they would get some like weird thing to do at the dinner party, like complain that the ceilings are too low, or like across (laughs) me. Like it's just such such silly stuff. But to me, it was like it was fun and it was creative and it enabled me to like make my apartment more fun than a bar because yeah. everyone knew when they were coming over for dinner something kooky was gonna happen. That was um, so great. Yeah. So I would be cooking dinner a lot and like have everybody else would bring the booze and we would just make a night of it. Um, I ended up like sharing my internet with the people that lived below me in the apartment that I was in in Brooklyn, cause they just moved in and they asked me if they could just like use it for a day just until they got their set up. And I was like, sure. So I gave them the password and figured I could just change the password, no big deal. True. But then when I realized that it didn't affect my functionality at all because they were just right there, I was like, well, why don't we just stay like this and split the bill? Um, so it was like little life hacks like that just kind of add up after a while. (laughs) Um, I definitely agree with like focusing on the big three. You hear that a lot, like focus on housing, transportation and food. So food is definitely, was a focus area for me. I was locked into a lease, um, when I was in Brooklyn. So like just moving wasn't really an option. Um, like, you know, right away. And then transportation wise, I was using, um, Pre-tax transit through the company that I worked for. I didn't have a car. I was just using the subway, and I didn't really like Uber, or take packs a lot. So I felt like I was doing the best I could on transportation and definitely yeah. Sounds everywhere. like it. yeah. So I had to really focus in on like this one area, which was the food and the discretionary spending, um, even like clothing. I so, I didn't buy clothing for years, to be honest with you, because I tapped into um, just again, a really fun thing. I used to do clothing exchanges with my friends and we would all like clear out our closets, gather at someone's house, like throw the skirts over there, the dresses over there, the shirts over there. And then like, it was just a free for all. And then anything that, you know, people didn't want, we just would donate
1: to Goodwill. That's so cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah, It was super fun. And fortunately I had very fashionable friends. (laughs) Is that the best? (laughs) Yes. I really benefited from their hand-me-downs for sure. Um, But I don't know. I came up like, I almost got my head wrapped around this idea of how do I get my needs met in the most resourceful way Mm -hmm. and make it fun? It was almost like this self-imposed restriction that didn't feel like restriction because it was a choice. If it wasn't a choice, like let's say I would have like lost my job and I didn't have you know, an income coming in and I was forced into this position, I don't think it would be that as fun. I think I really benefited from learning these skill sets and like kind of building these frugal muscles Mm -hmm. when when it was a choice.
1: I love, love, love this. And I think we have very similar stories in that way too. Cause same thing, $30,000 in debt and I paid mine off in 10 months. So we're like right there. You beat me by a month, by a month here's the worst part. I've been talking about that story for so long now. When I finally was looking at my credit report one day and was looking through like the, the payoffs, it was actually nine months, but I'm like, Oh God, I've already been going down this path for so long. I'm like, I can't change it now. So I've just committed to 10 months, which is fine. But one of the things that you, you touched on through your journey that I think is important is a lot of people have this question of, do you have to make a ton of money in order to make that kind of progress? I mean, that's a 30,000 in 11 months is you were booking it. You were really hauling butt. So were you making six figures every single year? So what was, well, give us like an idea of what income looked like for you at that time.
0: No. So I definitely made a lot less than, than I do now. Um, I would say that, you know, it was, I was probably, I'm trying to remember correctly. It was probably between like 70 and 80, but that was, you know, in New York city, my, my apartment was 1800 a month. Ooh. Um, and I lived in like the bowels of Brooklyn in a cockroach. Seriously. Apartment. Yeah, And it was super, super expensive. So I would say that, um, yeah, it, it, it really was very much about like the lifestyle choices. I mean, I was making my own laundry detergent and like face wash, Get it, and, girl. you know, I it was a very like extreme frugal time. Um, again, it didn't feel like deprivation to me because I was learning so much, but I definitely feel like it was, a point in my life where it was pretty extreme because I knew that it was going to be for a short period of time. I mean, I do not recommend this at all, but I actually stopped contributing to my 401k during that time, just because like emotionally, I knew that I was freaked out about not contributing to the 401k and not getting the match. So I thought that it would like motivate me to, you know, Mm um, Pay off the debt faster. So it's not like the smartest choice in the world, but again, there's a lot of emotion when it comes to money. And from my perspective, um, I just, I really wanted to get out of that debt. Like I was just laser, laser focused on that.
1: I think that's it's smart too. And everybody that I've ever talked to that's paid off a lot of debt or achieved really cool things financially, the common theme that I have found is that obsession with their goal. And you mentioned like deprivation, but you didn't view it as deprivation because you kind of gamified it and made it work for your life. I think the same thing is is true of obsession. We so often think of that as such a dirty word, but you were pretty obsessed with your goal. So aside from reading like the mini Mr. Money, the the mini, the, the mini money mustache uh blog, how did you get to the point where it was like forefront of your mind? Did you do any weird little things that helped you stay motivated?
0: I would say um Yeah. The frugal woods was another blog that I really enjoyed because she has like that extreme frugal challenge. Um, I thought that was really helpful. Um, I would say like tracking every single dollar and being able to like see the progress every day, every week. Like I think I was, I was logging in every, every two weeks when I was paid to you know kind of retally everything, see what I was doing on spending, could I throw any more at my um at my debt? I at that time I wasn't doing any automatic payments on everything and anything because I wanted to like have to physically log in and watch where the money was going. It just was an exercise in being overly conscious about my money because I spent so much time being mindless. Mm. Um it it really helped me develop the the skill set to Where now I'm probably like a little bit more relaxed about it, but I needed a time to like build those healthy habits.
1: So, you were looking at your finances basically every single day, probably a couple times per day, if we're being honest. And you're like going through and you're tracking, were you like notebook style writing down every dime? How did it work? It was like an app.
0: It was an app to track spending. And I know that you can use like mint and personal capital and that kind of thing. But for me personally, what really made a difference is every single time I spent money, I had to take out my phone and type it in. Like it just really ingrains like, I'm being mindful about this. I'm, you know, I'm really thinking through, um, you know, if, if this is necessary spending. And I kind of had this process of if I was going to buy something, like if I was thinking about buying something, the, it was almost like this five step kind of mental process where I would think, do I really need it? Like, is it a need or is it a want? Um, and really kind of uh, evaluating that. And then I would think, well, okay, if I really need it, can I borrow it? And that was huge for me because when I first moved into my apartment in Brooklyn, where I was living alone, and that's kind of around the time that um, this all kind of started happening, I always had roommates. It was a big goal for me to live alone, but I was also a little insecure about living alone. So Part of it was like wanting to make friends and surround myself with people, like in case I like dropped dead in my apartment, like someone would know. Fair, totally fair, right? Yeah, unless I'm like burning, you know. One time I left the stove on, and I was like, "Oh my god, I'm going to kill myself in my apartment." <laughs> oh, that'd be the worst. Oh no, no. <laughs> so oh, okay, I, that makes sense. Exactly, exactly. So I remember, like, you know, my building had about 40 apartments in it, and I would pass someone in the hallway and be like, "Hey, introduce myself. I'm new here," and I would just like invite everybody over for dinner. And it was amazing this, like this little community that we were able to form where we would all share stuff. I mean, like three of my neighbors had keys to my apartment and like, if they wanted to borrow my vacuum cleaner or whatever, they like, you know, it was, it was a very, um, I guess it just felt it just that community of, of sharing, you Mm -hmm. know, really, really helped a lot. And, and even like, again, with the clothing and the clothing exchanges, if I needed to go to a wedding or something or wear something nice why buy something that's going to sit there most of the year? Or you're going to wear it like one time. Like I would just borrow something from a friend. Yeah. Um, so definitely, um, the community aspect of it helped me a lot. Um, and then if I couldn't borrow it, uh, then I would look at, you know, can I buy it used? So, um, definitely looking at Craigslist for, I remember I got like my blender on Craigslist and crack and like all of that kind of stuff. So, um, Craigslist and getting things used. Um, I I liked doing that. And then, and then ultimately if I really couldn't get it used or it was like too, it was really too much of a hassle. It's like, fine. Mm -hmm. Now I'll buy the thing.
1: (laughs) I like that though. It's like being resourceful first of exhausting every Avenue and then considering the buying piece, which saves you money, saves the environment. Like there's so many good benefits there. Exactly. I love it. And so during this time you, you paid off your debt, when you made that final debt payment, how did you feel? I I just remember feeling
0: so free. Like it just felt it felt like it was my first taste of financial stability to know that um that I was able to do that, that I built up this skill set of resourcefulness so that whatever life threw at me, if I lost my job, if I like knowing how to live simply and minimally and enjoy it. Cause that's the thing you can live simply and minimally, but if you don't enjoy it, well then what's the point, you know? So learning to enjoy it was really important to me. And, um, yeah, paying off that debt, it just felt like, like endless opportunities. Like, okay, well, what am I going to do now? And now that I wasn't throwing money at debt, I started saving it. And, um, and that really, I think I never took saving all that seriously because I never had in my mind, like, what am I saving for? Yes. You know, like saving for saving, saving for a rainy day sounds good in theory, but it doesn't really keep you focused on that goal. Like, I, I think if you're saving towards something, you're a lot more motivated to, um, stay the course, you know? And so I decided that I wanted to walk the Camino and that was kind of my reason. Cause I, I mean, I got on this whole journey probably like two years before I went. So in my mind, I wasn't sure, like, am I going to be able to take time off of work? Right. And if they, if they deny my request, like, am I going to have to like, just leave? I, I mean, I was nervous to do that. I had a, I still work for the same company. I have a great job. My colleagues are like my family, but I really felt like I needed to change and, um, I needed to do something, um, to kind of challenge myself in a different way. And so the Camino for me was this really intimidating goal until I tried to start a conference. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah. No kidding.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, so I really probably had about like a year and a half where I was just stashing money away because I was like nervous that what if I, you know, what if I didn't have a job to come back to and, and not like wanting to have security while I was over there that I had kind of a safety net. Um, so that, that was kind of my reason that enabled me to save so aggressively.
1: That's fair. do Do you still feel like even today, you still have to have some very clear deadline or metric that you're trying to hit for you to stay focused on savings? I feel
0: like it's loosened for me a little bit. Um, when I first got into it, again, like building these healthy money habits, it's like I needed these crutches. Mm-hmm. Now it's almost again, it's a habit that I don't have to think about so much. So it's almost like I'm saving sixty percent of my income without really trying. I've become less intimidated by investing. So I feel a lot more comfortable with kind of like my plan and my strategy. Um, and and now, you know, with this conference, I'm kind of, a piece of it is I'm investing in my own business. So, you know, there's a lot of upfront costs to that. And which has, is a whole nother ball game, you know, because <laughs> investing, you know, in low fee index funds is intimidating enough, but investing in yourself, I mean, that, that brings a whole... Like slew of emotions that I did not anticipate going in. Um, yeah. So. So yeah. I. I think that um, the the habits of uh, minimizing expenses are so strong now that I don't have to think about saving as much.
1: Makes perfect sense. So tell me about the Camino. I've been considering that myself. It seems like such an incredible goal. What, what part was it like really, really hard in the journey? Was there a specific day that was the hardest?
0: You know, I was very nervous about the physical part of it. I, you know, I work out and, but I never really considered myself a very athletic person. So I actually trained a ton before I went like taking like, you know, 15 mile hikes on the weekends and walking at least like two, three hours a day during the week after work, just to like, try to like, first of all, break in my shoes, but also just like get comfortable with, um, that level of, of walking, um, so I think I overprepared on the physical side of it. Like I had interviewed like 20 people to like ask them what they brought and look over my packing list. It was very type A about it. <laughs> uh, and the thing about the Camino, and this sounds so woo-woo, but it's totally true. It's I think of it as like the most intense form of therapy hmm. because you're putting on the back burner like all your kind of like day-to-day obligations and distractions, and you're just left. With yourself and you got to deal with yourself so here's a good example imagine like you're driving to work and someone cuts you off on the road and it like pisses you off for a second whatever you get to work you you know you're diving into email there's like all these distractions like you get over it because you're just diving into all of these other things that are buying for your attention right mm-hmm. well in the camino you stay in these like um hostels almost are called albergues. And it'll just be like a sea of bunk beds and everyone's getting ready in the morning. And like, someone will be rude to you or whatever, you know, another, they call us pilgrims, people who walk the Camino. And, and it's not like you're going to get into the office and distract yourself with email. You're going to walk with it and like, and you analyze it and you pick it apart. And <laughs> you, it's like, you're, there's nothing to get away from, yeah. um, Kind of digesting that thing that pissed you off in the morning. So to me, the the um, the emotional aspect of like just being with my own thoughts and not having much distraction and just having to walk with them, it was intense. It was really intense. Yeah. How did
1: how did that journey impact you on your your now new journey to financial independence? How how did that transfer over? Were there anything there that was directly correlated? Yeah,
0: I think um you know a lot of the people that I met on the Camino were doing it in retirement. You know, they'd be in their 60s, they had always wanted to do it their whole life. And here I am at 30 years old and taking a little break to do it. And um I think it really showed me um that I don't want to wait for retirement for mm-hmm. the things that I really want to do that maybe mini retirements are are better for me. Um but yeah, I would say um, one of the biggest things that that impacted me was that no one really asked me about work on the trail. Like they wanted to know me and they didn't really care about what I did for a living. And that was really important for me because up until that point, I think I really um, over identified with my career mm-hmm. and uh, really put it up on, on a pedestal. I was a workaholic really. Um, and I think one of the main reasons why I wanted to walk the Camino is that, you know, I reached every kind of professional goal for myself and my career was going really well and I still, I wasn't that happy, you know, like I, I think I put work before relationships, before my health. Um, I mean, really kind of getting my finances in order and discovering all this stuff about myself and then walking the Camino, um, just really helped me kind of like reprioritize values and, um, recognize that yes, work and making money is important, but time is finite. It really is like time is the most important resource. You can always make more money you really can. It may not feel like that sometimes. I know it, it. money can be a really hard thing for people. It is a very emotional thing. And I totally get that. Um, but the reality is you can always make more money, but you'll never get back that time. And so um, prioritizing this time off of work for me um, was was really important.
1: Okay. So I have a really weird question because this is something that I have uh, kind of grappled with myself, but I agree with you. It's it's that importance of optimizing your time so that you have as much free time as possible and really being very intentional about guarding that one resource you don't get more of. So when it comes to hearing that, and we, I think we were all like, yes, I agree. But then it comes to maybe doing some crappy things like paying off debt, which means you're going to give up on some potentially really fun experiences, like travel or finding that free time yourself that might make you have to work more hours. How do you balance that? Do you have any suggestions?
0: Well, I think, again, it goes back to resourcefulness. So like, for example, I got into like travel rewards with credit cards and, you know, I travel a lot, but I can't remember the last time I paid for a flight. Yeah. You know, so, um, and then also really valuing simplicity Um, so like when I travel, um, I've done like couch surfing or, uh, I'll try to find like a friend of a friend that will like, let me stay with them. And it's not so much about like trying to mooch off of someone else. It's more about, I actually have such a better time in a new place when I'm connecting with someone who knows and loves it and, you know, having that kind of interaction versus just like staying by myself in a nice hotel somewhere. Totally. Um, yeah, so I definitely think that you can you can create fun. It doesn't necessarily, again, it's not about deprivation. I think it's about being resourceful about getting those needs met and and really like almost training yourself to enjoy simplicity. Um, I mean, some of the things that I love to do with my time, I used to be like a huge party animal and you know going out every night in New York City and. The idea of just like sitting at home and reading a book by myself felt like, man, what loser does that?
1: What kind of grandma am
0: I? <laughs> I know, <laughs> I, and maybe I don't know. I guess I'm old now. I'm like thirty. Same. So, <laughs> so I guess my my what I enjoy changes, and it. it's not that you're never gonna go out again. It's just like being able to enjoy. More simple ways to use your time. Like I go for long walks with my dog. You know, it sounds it sounds simple, but it's really enjoyable. I think it's a skill set because we live in a culture that is overstimulated and is constantly like, you got to do this, you got to do that. Go here, go there. Buy this thing, buy that thing. And it's very like flashy and fun, but I found kind of slowing down and again getting back to simplicity.
1: I've, I've found a lot of enjoyment in it. That's huge. I think that's a really, really good answer. I love the way you describe that too. So now you're on your path to financial independence, which I presume is tied to time freedom for you. Is that the case?
0: Yeah, I think um, you know, people pursue this for so many different reasons. I mean, you hear about you know, people wanting to leave the rat race and you know, quit their job. And for me, that motivation doesn't feel all that true to me. Um for me it's more about um like creating my own safety net and knowing that no matter what life throws at me I'm going to be able to handle it because I'm I'm not so tied to you know, my job for money, that I have other options. So let's say, you know, you don't want to think about these things, but like our parents are getting, you know, our parents are getting older. You know, if my mom gets sick or something, like I want to be able to say, okay, I'm going to take off of work and and go take care of her and not have to worry about, you know, uh, like losing my job for something like that. Um, You know, or let's say, you know, there's a new CEO that can completely Changes the culture, or I get laid off. That doesn't necessarily need to be a disaster, right? It it can be actually, you know, okay. Here's another mini retirement moment, Mm -hmm. and and where is that going to lead? So um, for me, it's it's more about the option and the safety net versus like an escape route.
1: I think that's huge too. I really do. That's a lot of. I love the financial independence movement. I do the retire early part. I don't so much resonate with either. I think it's cool for some people, but it's never been a motivator for me either. And I love that you mentioned that. Cause I think that's a lot of times people hear that and they immediately assume it's not for me. This whole financial independence thing is not for me because I don't want to quit my job and that's yeah. not what it's about.
0: No, I think that it's almost, um, It's terminology, really, because there's a definition of what retirement is that most people understand. Yeah. And I think people in the fire community, when we talk about retirement, it's almost like we've redefined it, but people don't get that because if you people that are financially independent, most of them are working in some capacity. It doesn't mean that they're sitting around on the couch all day. I mean, you got to do something with your time. And a lot of times that leads to making money in some way. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, a lot of people start blogging, they start podcasts, they, you know, or some creative endeavor, um, or they, you know, they travel, they do whatever. So, um, but I would say that, You know, a standard definition of work. Many people who reach FI and that retire from the job that got them there don't necessarily retire from work in general. So I think it's more of a a terminology thing, but it's also early retirement is a very provocative kind of idea. Yeah, it is. So um, I I get why like it gets people's attention. So I I get and like fire is just catchy. You know, it is. I, I I put a flame in my
1: logo. I get it. <laughs> it, I, I totally understand that too. When I, I sometimes think too, it's almost like that that Trojan horse approach, where it's like you attract them with the thing that sounds sexy and very very enticing. But then once they get into this community, then they start to realize, oh, okay, that's not actually what it's about. It's about what's important to me. What are my values, and how do I make right. money? Help me get to reach my values faster, and live in, in a way that's true to me. So I think that's really interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I would add to that, that um, it's not like a get rich quick scheme or anything. You know, it's not like a, it's nothing like that. It's more, to me, it's a, a mentality and a mindset that it can be very hard for people within our consumerist culture to understand. One of the examples I like to give is it's not enough to not buy the Tesla. You actually have to not want the Tesla. Exactly. That is is really, really tricky because we are just kind of culturally conditioned to want more and more and more and more. This idea of enough and being content with you know, so for example, like I bought a really a pretty small house. I guess it's like maybe eleven hundred square feet. Um, it's got a couple bedrooms, you know, it's it's not a huge house. I could afford a lot bigger house, but I don't need it and I don't want it. It's more to clean, you know, <laughs> it's like what why do I need a big house? Um, I, I feel like I've kind of almost trained myself to not desire those kind of status symbols, those external markers of success. Um, but you know, we're conditioned to want those things. So I totally get that. It's, it's a hard thing to wrap your head around and it could look like depra- deprivation if you don't have the right mentality.
1: I totally agree. And I think if you, as exactly as you were saying with the Tesla example, that's a killer example. If you don't buy the Tesla, but you still want the Tesla, it would feel like deprivation. Exactly. And so, yeah, I think that's real smart. So for, for you now on the path to financial independence, how do you know like do you use any like quick calculations to know when enough money is enough money to have that safety net so you feel comfortable with that amount? Sure. So the way that I kind of look at my journey is there's
0: like seasons to it and it's it's so overwhelming when you read about it all at once that I kind of <laughs> had to mentally like break it up into okay, I'm getting out of debt season right? Now I'm in this season where I'm making life changes and I'm moving to Cincinnati and I'm walking the Camino and I'm buying a house, right? And then I had the season where I was maxing out my retirement accounts. And then I had a season where I was building a, a emergency fund. And now I'm in a season where I'm investing in my conference and in low fee index funds. So I kind of had to like break it up into stages where- When I'm in whatever season, I'm not thinking about any other season. I'm just like (laughs) laser focused on the task ahead. So right now I'm in this accumulation phase. Um, I'm about eight years away from financial independence. It's so far away. Like anything can happen, right? It could come sooner. It could come later. Who knows? But I'm kind of like, I'm not laser focused on, I know what the number is. Like I used a calculator. I actually ran a... um, session at Camp Mustache this year, which was a big dream for me to be able to go there. Um, but so we cool. did it. Yeah. We did it. attendee case studies and we took four of us and I like created this template and we kind of like opened the books and showed everyone like, you know, here's our income, here's our assets, here's our plan. And to kind of like almost for me, it was like reassurances that I came up with this whole strategy on my own. Like, I think I'm smart enough to figure it out, but like to have the reassurance of people going like, girl, you got this. That's like, so cool. Yeah, that was very very helpful. But it was really interesting to see like everyone's different strategy and how they like their unique circumstances. Like they made it kind of like work for them. Um, that was the first time because I was doing that session that I actually plugged in all of the numbers in depth. Um, I, I mean, I can send you this crazy spreadsheet that I used um, that I actually pulled off of the Mister Money Mustache forum. But that's the first time that I realized that I was eight years away. And wow, Yeah. And that to me was, um, it was a pivotal moment because it made me realize that the way I've designed my life to pursue FI is actually the life that I would want at financial independence. So I almost had this moment, like, is it irrelevant if I ever reach it? Because mm. I, I'm, I made all these lifestyle decisions that um, are really satisfying to me. So like, do I have, you know, maybe I don't need to be so aggressive about it. You know, I just kind of like had this moment of like, huh. But, but again, being eight years away, it's still too far away for me to like stress about it every day. For sure. Like that's kind of where it's floating out there right now. I'm really comfortable with where I am. I've got a 60% savings rate.
1: All is good. That's so amazing. I am like, that's crazy impressive. I th- I think it's awesome to see how somebody is able to, to do this in a way that it's not about hitting this milestone. It's about the journey. And truly that's the case for you. You have created a life you love and that you're very content and happy with. And I think that's the goal. And so many of us tie that end goal, that happiness and that journey, appreciating it all to, I have to stop working. In order to right. do that, So I, yeah. I love that you mentioned that. That's huge. How does the conference tie into all of this stuff too? What yeah. was your inspiration behind the conference? So
0: I think that when you're really into something and you're really passionate about something, it's almost like you want to shout it from the mountaintops. <laughs> totally. This, like, I think we all have a need for creative expression in one way or the other. And, um, for me i'm this stuff changed my life i mean like i said i went from you know moving to cincinnati from new york city like i why i would have never seen that coming like the it was almost like the one of my favorite quotes i don't even know where i got this from Is like you can't possibly anticipate today the opportunities that present themselves tomorrow and i feel like the pursuit of fire kind of opened that up for me and it made my life feel a lot more expansive. And I got to this place all because a guy named Pete decided to type into a computer one day. And so the idea that like, what if I could create something that someone could stumble across the way that I did? And like, I'm not, a am not here to convince anyone about fire. Like if you hear about it and you think it sounds terrible, well then like, Go find your thing. Great, <laughs> yeah. I'm not gonna be the person that tries to convince you at all. I think there are people out there that are very receptive of this idea. They've just never been exposed to it, and so the idea of making it more accessible, I think, is what motivates many people like yourself to, you know, start a podcast, start a blog, write a book, what what have you, and and kind of share the thing that lights you up. Mm-hmm. Um, my motivation for the conference is that. I saw that a lot of the blogs and the podcasts and the books already exist. And I actually don't really feel like that's a good medium for me. I love talking about this stuff, but I feel like there are so many other people that are more eloquent at talking about this stuff. I'm like a normal person where this completely changed my life, but I think that other people do a better job of explaining it. And so what I wanted to do is not necessarily create content around fire. I wanted to create a platform where Mm -hmm. I could, Give a literal stage to you know content creators that have amazing things to say to allow people to like interact with this stuff in a new way. Um, I'm also really influenced by other conferences that I go to. I am like the most extroverted person I know, and I love going to like e- even in my um, corporate career, I have to go to a lot of trade shows, and I'm like a kid in a candy store. I mean, I'm like walking. To- <laughs> booth. And like, I have this uh, like obnoxious belief that people are excited to meet me. Like <laughs> they probably are though. <laughs> and, and the thing is that I'm just very much into like be it, being face to face with people. It's, 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 it really is what lights me up. And so, um, like I went to Camp Phi this year. I went to Camp Mustache and I just felt like I found my people. Those are the best vacations that I've ever had. And to be able to like be surrounded with open minded, smart, like-minded people, um, it, it was, it's just very inspiring for me. And it almost like reinforces my commitment to this lifestyle. I think that we all need that. And that's why there are still blogs and podcasts and books coming out and why we still read them because you're not going to read one blog and make one change. And that's going to combat the cultural conditioning that you've had your whole life. I mean, we're surrounded with Messages of consumerism, and I think we need to kind of reinforce um, the ways that we've reprioritized our values by continuing to engage with the content. And so that's why I love going to um, events and to keep up on this kind of stuff. But um, I go to this other conference um, that's sadly ending, World Domination Summit. Oh, is that really? Yeah. That next year is their last year, and I'm so sad because that conference I've gone for the last three years. And every time I leave, I just feel so inspired. And I, I guess my, that, that was one of my main inspirations is I would love for other people to feel how I feel when I leave World Domination Summit about this topic that's really important to me. That, that really is my main motivation. I also, I think we all have uh, an urge to connect with each other. And the main, um, way that we can do that is online. And there are so many great outlets for it. There are groups, there are forums, there are so many ways for us to connect with each other through a screen, but it's not my preference to be honest with you. I'm kind of a lurker on this stuff. Like I read all the comments, but it's almost like, I feel like maybe I have imposter syndrome or I'm intimidated. And I don't like participate as much as other people do. But when I'm face to face with people, I don't feel that way at all. I feel, um, I feel that most people that would go to these kind of things like the camps and world domination summit, it's almost like an open hearted spirit yep. that you feel in the room and you feel very welcome. I'm actually going to FinCon for the first time. <gasps>
1: this- yeah. I'm going to
0: see you there. Yeah. Um, I'm just, I'm really into events. I'm really into events. I feel like it could be my contribution. There are definitely... Like I, I said, a number of events that happened, like the Camp Five, the camp actually some great women-oriented events like Statement in New York, there's Lolo Retreat, there's Sense Positive, which I'm also going to that in October. I'm very excited. So cool. It's just like my new hobby is to go to all these
1: financial events, I guess. Why not?
0: Yeah. So so I guess I'm on the event bandwagon and I felt like this could be my contribution to mm-hmm. make this content more accessible. Um, for people who don't yet know that it's their thing, and then to also reinforce the commitment of people like me who are on this journey and are trying to stay at the course. The other piece of this conference that is really interesting to me is that I'm doing it at the University of Cincinnati, and it's an amazing venue that we have. We have room for 700 people, and I'm really committed to saving a certain portion of the tickets for students. Oh, that's so cool! It it's if I would have been exposed to this stuff earlier, like what, what, what have, what would have changed? I would have hoped that I would have been receptive to it, but I think it's, you know, I hear young people talk about, you know, how scary it is these days that you know the cost of going to school has gone up so much I mean I've been out of school for ten years now, but I mean even within the ten years, the cost is insane
1: mm-hmm. you
0: know there there's no guarantee that you're going to recoup that investment and it, it's kind of a scary time it's like you're starting your career in financial insecurity yeah. and so to be able to expose um, students to this idea that it doesn't have to be that way that you know, to to kind of expand their minds of what's possible by seeing examples of other people that have been able to become financially independent, to be able to kind of rethink consumerism in a way that um, works for them. Um, I I just love the idea of exposing them to it, and you know, as they start you know their their journey into the real world and and their careers.
1: I love this. I think it's so, so amazing. I could easily chat with you for probably at least three more hours because I think it's so fun to just chat with like-minded people. But for, unfortunately, for the sake of time, I'm going to have to start to wrap it up a little bit. So are you officially down for some rapid fire questions before we talk about where to? Well, you
0: warned me that this was coming and you wouldn't tell me what the questions were. I I
1: never tell. I have to, I have to play fair, man. (laughs) Okay. Well, I'm ready as I'll ever be. Well, oh, the first one's going to be good. Okay. First question for you is, what is one purchase you recently made that has made your life better?
0: Okay. So as someone who's frugal, this was a little bit of a hard purchase for me, but uh, I bought one of those peak design bags. Have I you heard of these? this? No. I think they got started on like kick. Kickstarter or something like that. I actually bought a a refurbished one off of eBay that was cheaper. They're not cheap bags, but it's it's um kind of like a backpack and it has all these like pockets and you can reconfigure. I mean, I watched like a half an hour video of like all the things this bag could do. (laughs) I, I was I was convinced, especially because it's you know, it's a small business, they're focused on quality. It, it was an expensive bag, but I convinced myself that like, I'll never buy another bag. And I am that way. Like I still have, I still have things from, you know, that I bought m- many, many years ago. Typically I'll, I'll just like buy something and use it until I like had not use it anymore. So the fact that it's a really high quality bag and I can see myself having it forever, um, made me feel like it was, it was worth the purchase, but but yeah, it's it's like a really interesting bag. I'll have it with me at FinCon, so I'll, I'll show you. To, yeah, please do. Give me give me the thirty minute tutorial there. <laughs> and I, you know, I met a woman at World Domination Summit that had this bag, and I was like, "Huh, that's an interesting bag." And she said, "Yeah, it's Peak Design. You gotta, you know, I did hours and hours of research on." The perfect bag, and it was like, man, you made that time investment. I trust you, lady. Like, yeah, just get the bag, and not you know. Before, I was always <laughs> wearing you. like a shoulder bag, um, yep. and I had my laptop on it. And once I discovered the whole backpack route,
1: like I'm never going back to a shoulder bag. Game changer, huh? Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna have to check into those too. I'll definitely get the tutorial in person at FinCon for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so my next question for you is, what is your current morning routine? Hmm.
0: Well, first and foremost, I got to go walk the dog. So I've got an 80 pound lab shepherd mix that is roaring to go in the morning. So I, I walk the dog. I typically will come back, make some coffee, have some breakfast. I like to do a little like journaling and reading um, before like I dive into the day. Um, but yeah, pretty simple, pretty simple morning routine.
1: I love that. That's awesome. What time do you typically wake up? Mm. Probably around six. Oh, not bad. Okay. Yeah. All right. I like it. Okay. Next question for you. Where is one location you're dying to travel to?
0: Hmm. Hawaii. Definitely Hawaii. Yeah. Specific Island or all of them. Just all of them. Every time I hear someone going to Hawaii, I'm like, man, it's on my list. It's
1: on my list, but like, it's really on my list. Like I just need, I just need to do it next. You do. Yeah. Make it happen. Absolutely. It's yep. a, yeah. Hawaii is awesome. And flights are getting cheaper there. So I know you've got the points, make it work. <laughs> absolutely. Okay. Next question for you. And this is our final question. This one's a biggie. In your opinion, what is the secret to financial success? Hmm. I,
0: I mean I've, I' feel like a broken record, but the simplicity to like to not need luxuries, you know and and just be comfortable with what you have it, it, to me, it makes life feel a lot more expansive. and in that way, money is more expansive because you know you see it as this tool, this resource that can get your needs met but your needs are already met because you're content with what you have. Um, I think when you're like constantly striving for more and more and more, um, the concept of enough is really powerful for me because you know, you, I've got a bed to sleep in. I've got food to eat. I've got people who I love and who love me and I've got my dog. I've got enough.
1: Love it. I think that's such a killer way to wrap up this conversation. For everybody listening in, where do they go to get their hands on a ticket to come see the conference and be there in person? Yes. So
0: early bird tickets have just launched. So we've got early bird pricing and you can go to me conference. And now it's M E at the end. Um, if you notice the spelling of my first name, I very much enjoy letters that don't make sense. So. <laughs> Play on words there, uh, economyconference.com. You'll see links for early bird tickets, and you'll also be able to check out the speakers we have lined up thus far. We have an amazing lineup and we've only, um, we've booked about half of our speakers. So actually at FinCon, I will be, um, kind of looking for more and, um, looking to kind of roll out more announcements over the next coming months.
1: So exciting. Yay. Awesome. Diana, thank you so much for your time. It was truly a pleasure chatting with you, hearing your story and learning from you. Thank you so much. All right. What did you think? So good, right? I was so furiously head nodding this entire time. There were so many nuggets and so much great wisdom in here. I specifically appreciated that whole conversation around how to be more resourceful. That part, I was like, God, I don't do enough of that. So it was really hitting home for me. And I'd love to hear from you. What really resonated with you specifically from this episode? Take a screenshot of this. Tag me on Instagram. I'm at Whitney underscore Hanson underscore co. And let me know what resonated with you, what's standing out to you, and more importantly, what are you going to apply to your own life so that you can go towards your version of financial independence? Thank you so much for tuning in. I love you. Hope you're having a great week and I will see you next week for another episode of the Money Nerds Podcast. Bye.